Hey, how's it going, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Today is another installment of Favorites with Friends. Today, we're so lucky to be joined by our good friend, Aiden Clark. Aiden, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to be here. Yeah, Aiden is a really long-standing friend and supporter of the podcast and has always just consistently had an amazing taste for video game music. I think you are the person to introduce us to Gravity Rush. So for that, we applaud you and we thank you very much. That was like, what was it, like three years ago or something you introduced us to that? I think just around then, yeah. I've been listening for almost three years now and I was really okay. happy to share that soundtrack with you. It's definitely, oh. I, it's my personal favorite soundtrack of all time. So. Oh my gosh, it's it's just Absolutely. When we think about the history of the podcast, that was one that just got us so excited, particularly uh, that resistance and extermination. When we both heard that, we were just floored by that track. One of the best battle themes of any game I've ever played. Absolutely. So if you guys haven't heard a Favorites with Friends episode, it has kind of a unique format and one that's a lot of fun. It's been a while since we've done one of these. So what this episode is all about is we have a friend of the show bring in their own playlist of music that means a lot to them, some of their favorite video game music, and we're going to talk about their personal experience with playing these games and why this music resonates with them. It's it's context that we don't get to really dive into uh, necessarily every week on the show, so it's a little bit more personal, nostalgic look at video game music, so we're excited to talk about this today with our good friend Aiden. So let's talk a little bit about what we heard playing in it was from Link's Awakening why did you bring uh, the opening from Link's Awakening in today so Link's Awakening was actually the very first video game I ever owned I'd gotten it from a friend after finding a Game Boy at a garage sale and <laughs> this is the opening theme that plays every time you boot up the game most of the time yeah. I would have skipped it by pressing the button and heading to the start menu but it's a song that just is completely ingrained in my love of video game music because I've heard it so many countless times in playing that game that's so dear to me and it mm-hmm. was right there the very literally the very beginning of the very first game well it seems like a good way to start off an episode because that idea of you know booting up your very first game you know this is booting up your very first episode of the supermercado brothers how's it feel (laughs) (laughs) it's exactly how you describe it it's the thing that really kick-started all of the music that i've listened to over the years with video games and i mean on top of that it's a really really great composition as well Absolutely. Uh, Well, you know what? This is so fitting. We talked about Gravity Rush. The next track we're going to move to is from Gravity Rush 2. You brought in Firebound Lions. Now, this was a track that we did not, we were not able to feature in our recent Gravity Rush 2 spotlight. So uh, can you talk a little bit about your experience with maybe this series and, and why you picked this track today? So Gravity Rush has always been one of my favorite soundtracks just because of how fantastically rich the first one was. And that was the thing that I was most excited about with the second game coming out recently. I have to admit I haven't played a whole lot of it, mainly because it just yep. it, it's it's recent and I'm, I'm busy with college. But <laughs> the soundtrack was just... Me too, just, brother. <laughs> it was just phenomenal. And along with the game, they included a, f- a small bonus soundtrack, and this is one of the songs that was included with it, so I heard it before I'd ever even played the game, right. and it just really stuck out with me. It was, it's got a little bit of a more video gamey feel than most of the, the rest of it, and just like how the first game bounced between so many different genres, the second game does exactly the same, and I don't think I've ever heard anything quite like this in a game before. Well, let's take a listen to Firebound Lions from Gravity Rush 2, composed by Kohei Tanaka.
This is so cool. You guys are listening to Firebound Lions from Gravity Rush 2, composed by Kohei Tanaka. Uh, definitely a change of pace. A lot more traditional uh, Japanese sounds than we get from most of the soundtrack. I do remember this vividly. Uh, this was a really great track. I don't really have a particular reason why this wasn't included. There's just so many awesome pieces that this, well, for, for whatever reason, fell by the everyone wayside. Everyone needs to know that Carl uses uh, <laughs> a, a format of spreadsheets it's and true. numerical devices to pick the playlists. It's so all I, very soulless. Aiden, and, if, if you're uh, curious, I can tell you what I rated this track on a 10-point scale. Uh, I can pull that up. But yeah, yeah that let, would be let's, great. Talk, let's talk a little bit about why, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned it before, um, but I don't know, is there anything else that kind of jumps out of you about this Firebound Lions track? It's just, just fantastically driving with a lot of its force and it, and it just keeps going and going. The, yeah. the little bass line where it's dun, 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 dun is, is one of the things that seems the most like a video game trope that I've heard in it. And it's not something sure. that, that's not something that's present in a lot of the rest of the score. It does it avoids some of those, and it's it's interesting to see it kind of embracing that cliche while going for that west the the not western the the Japanese eastern feel. Yeah, completely. A kind of a quirky group of instruments here. I all think very effective. To me, a little bit of this track, just that kind of guitar pattern and the mixture of genres, it kind of reminded me of that uh, fantastic track from Kid Icarus Uprising. The uh, oh, yes. I believe it was either Matoi Sakuraba or um, Yasunori Mitsuda. Um, but oh yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's Sakuraba. Dark Pit or something. Mm-hmm. Definitely oh, fantastic. It yeah. gave me that kind of feel, which I, I hear what you're saying, Aiden, about it feeling um, more video gamey. Well, one of my favorite things is when we have these spotlight episodes, we only play, you know, 19, 20 tracks. And then there's always people that send us tracks later on, like, oh, you know, this is another awesome track that you guys get into play. And it kind of gives a little bit of a different context. Uh, so what what I rated this track on my spreadsheet, I just opened it up, was a 7.7, which is a good score. Very good score. But I think uh, the only thing that we include was everything 8.0 and above. For that oh, God. <laughs> See, I got yeah. 0.3%. When I first listened to the Gravity Rush 2 episode, I scanned over the playlist and they said, oh man, this doesn't have that song. And I got really excited <laughs> because I said, oh, I can play this when I go on the podcast. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, now we're going to move on to uh, another game. And can you give us the setup for this game, the soundtrack, your first experience with this? So this game is Near, which... I'm currently playing. I only started playing this game about three days ago, and I remember hearing the song Grandmother from this mm. track several years so ago. So good. And again, I know that I have already used the phrase like nothing I've heard in a video game before, but the soundtrack for Nier uses vocals in every single track, which is something that is just unheard of in a video game score. Yeah, and, Emmy Evans is just killer job. And it'll reuse the the soundtrack in a way where it will use one the, uh, the material from one song over and over in different ones and the music will evolve and it's tied in with the way that the game works so as you're playing most of the songs work on a 30 to 50 second or so loop and right. when when you're interacting with the the story or the characters in the world they will layer in different tracks onto it and it will gain a different level of depth and emotion with what's going on in the, the game itself and it's a very well, moving experience we are huge fans of the near soundtrack and we are going to do a spotlight later on this season uh but you brought in a piece of music what did you bring in today from near this one is called kaine escape and it's the theme that plays with the character kaine when she's in the game and there are various circumstances where it uses this mix as opposed to the more um melodic and relaxed version that they have Awesome. Well, this score was composed by Kaichi Okabe. This is performed by Emmy Evans. Let's take a listen to Kaine Escape.
You guys are listening to Kaine Escape from Near. This is so gorgeous. The composer here is Kaichi Okabe, performed by Emmy Evans. Wow. Yeah, I'm so excited for our spotlight episode because everything that we've ever played from Nier has been amazing. So it's going to be awesome to have an entire episode dedicated to it. So these melodies are just so fantastic. Yeah. Uh, chords are beautiful. It really, it almost seems like setting lyrics to video game music. Like sometimes sure. I, I joke about that, um, about like taking a great Koji Kondo melody and writing lyrics to it. But this <laughs> music, um, it doesn't just sound like pop music being done for a video game it's like the the quality of the melodies and harmonies themselves feel almost uh, integral to this medium which sure. is something that i'm really curious about and excited to explore more with this soundtrack in the future yeah, yeah. absolutely what you were saying about it being integral to the medium is so interesting with how the soundtrack for this game works where it will layer on these extra pieces to the song as it goes on and it's very very interesting because it's not something that you'd get in any other type of Right. Media. Using using a song, a vocal song, as uh, score is something interesting. When we think of motivic development in films or games or television, uh, I mean, we're almost always thinking about um, instrumental. an instrumental idea, whether it's synth-based or orchestral or even kind of a rock mix. It's rarely done... Um, with like a song as score mm. in um, like an active way. I mean, a lot of times, you know, movies will just drop songs into the background, but yeah. um, unless they edit uh, the film to a particular song, usually it doesn't feel like um, the song itself is scoring a scene. So I, I think that's a really cool uh, um, idea here in this game. And yeah, I'm, I can't wait to explore that music more in the future. Yeah. Well, I believe we're going to move on to a game that is just a couple years old. What are we moving on to next, Aiden? This one would be from the soundtrack of Hotline Miami 2. Ah. And this game has a pulse-pounding score that harkens back to the 80s synthwave movement that's coming up now. And oh, yes. a lot of the soundtrack is licensed music that has already been produced by these artists. Right. So they, they take what they've already done from this thing that's been gaining popularity with the, the 80s retro kind of aesthetic. And it's very, very exciting and action-filled and angry sounding let's take a listen to a track you brought in roller mobster the artist here is carpenter brute this is from hotline miami 2 guys listening to roller mobster this is from hotline miami 2 uh which features a lot of licensed music the artist we have here is carpenter brute really interesting to me this sounds very modern with the production style um some of that splicing that you hear it's very dubstepy but you're right it also does fit with the 80s because there's a lot of retro synths that are now coming back in style they're kind of in vogue now so it is interesting because it, it fits a modern game but it also does feel like it could be a throwback as well. It's it's interesting. I really like the way that this track builds up because it has roughly a minute of the, the slower, more atmospheric things that definitely are reminiscent of Metroid Prime soundtracks. <laughs> yeah, we were joking about that. <laughs> and 
The way that that fits into the game is really impressive as well, because the setup for this level is that there are several different people entering a building, and they're they're all going to different levels to to kill a lot of people. The game is very violent. <laughs> Man, this is like fantastic music. It's so catchy. I love the production aesthetic. Carl, like you mentioned, it is modern and retro at the same time. There's nothing about it to me that feels that overbearing, though. And I do get that sometimes with uh, some dubstep music. It feels a little bit overbearing. This is fantastic. I love those kind of 80s chord changes where it's these big triads moving in parallel. Like, that's so much of what I associate to that, like, 80s pop sound. Absolutely. All right, Aiden, what are we moving on to next in your playlist? So this is another licensed track, but from a completely different perspective. The acclaimed musician Mike Oldfield wanted to get into the video game business in the early 2000s and decided to make a game that was called Trace Lunas, and it features an entire soundtrack by Mike Oldfield, better known for doing things like Tubular Bells that was used in The Exorcist. And so it's a, kind of his excuse to just use his original music. He just, oh, uh, I have this awesome album, let's just make a game for it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the, the game itself is a strange experimental thing where you kind of float around landscapes, but... It's accompanied by Mike Oldfield music. Awesome. Well, let's take a listen to Misty, composed by Mike Oldfield. You guys are listening to Misty from Trace Lunas, composed by Mike Oldfield, which was an album and a game. This is this is quite interesting. Uh, it does feel like really at home as background video game music. I think it's cool that this was potentially maybe originally just an, an album, because uh, I'm glad people are making music like, like, like this, but this kind of feels like if you didn't tell me, I would have assumed it was written specifically for a video game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a strange piece of, of history that you don't ever you don't see that. I think the closest thing was I know that David Bowie was involved with a, a Dreamcast and PC game at one point. Mm. And other than that, it's it's very very cool to see a composer known for so many other things, specifically targeting video games as a medium of expressing themselves. Right. Yeah, because it, it, it's, it's, it makes you realize that, okay, I'm not alone. Like, there's something that he saw in this medium and in this style that, that he wanted to explore. And even if, it, even if he didn't make this game, it's kind of cool that this would have been his video game-inspired album. Well, I mean, he is in good company with Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney also <laughs> working on uh, video game soundtracks. It's like, yeah, honestly, when people ask me who are your favorite video game composers, now I, I almost feel obligated Michael to Jackson. say Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. <laughs> who else Who else um, can we add to that list? I guess Masato Nakamura would Still, would for me, Koji Kondo is on the top of the list. No, but, I'm uh, saying like people that, Paul are outside, comes in a close second. people that are outside of video games. Like, who are other famous musicians that have done video games? The Mark Mothersbaugh, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I, I haven't listened to much of the David Bowie soundtrack for, for his game, but he's one of my favorite artists, so I, that's one I should look into more. I believe it was Sonic Adventure 2, I think. <laughs> no, right? I, it was, a, it was a, a strange game by Quantic Dream that the name escapes me. That sounds better. Well, this is so vibey, the really kind of nice atmospheric groove based track. That uh, primary kind of synth color uh, reminds me of Gorillaz a little bit. Sounds like something that would be almost like 
sampled in a gorilla song. I love it. We're also getting a little bit of a glimpse into kind of some of the things that uh, resonate with, with Aiden's musical palette. Some vibey synth stuff I'm hearing a lot today. So we'll see if that continues. All right. Now we're going to move on to Axiom Verge, which was composed by Thomas Happ. Well, what did you bring in from this game? So out of all of the games that have come out in the past decade that have been trying to harken back to the Metroid style, none of them have gotten closer than Axiom Verge. It was a game made by just one person. He did all Mm -hmm. of the artwork and programming and composition for it. And he really, really nailed the the visual aesthetic, but also made a very similar sound to what you'd hear off of either Metroid or Super Metroid. Right. This was the the title track for the game, and it's very, very cool to hear how he was able to emulate this all by himself. So, Aiden, are you telling me that we're going to hear another vibey synth track? <laughs> I don't think there's a whole lot of vibes in this one, but okay, I, okay. I may be proven wrong. Because when I think about Metroid and Super Metroid, uh, I think about some some vibes. So we'll we'll see we'll see what happens in this track. This is the Axiom from Axiom Verge, composed by Thomas Happ. You guys are listening to The Axiom from Axiom Verge, composed by Thomas Happ. Really cool mixture of old school sounds and some more modern sounds. You have some chip stuff in here. You have some more, um, you know, expressive synthesizers. Uh, I definitely get the Metroid correlation uh, when I listen to this. Um, but it's what I, what I like about it is that it's quite catchy. Like these riffs are definitely riffs that are going to stay with you. Um, so not only is it vibey, but it's a lot more catchy than on paper I would expect it to be. Yeah, um, a big aspect when I think of Metroid music are the types of ostinatos that are often created as kind of the building block of the music. And the ostinato that's created here definitely feels very Metroid-y. The repeated note idea reminds me a lot of the title screen in the original Metroid, and also that it has that similar NES uh, chip timbre, I think helps it as well, but also the contour of the melody itself and the use of that Dorian mode um, also feels like it could fit into that universe. Absolutely. It's interesting listening to this because uh, some of you may know I did that album called Child of the Chozo, which was a tribute to the Metroid series, so it's, it's kind of interesting hearing other composers uh, do a similar do a similar thing it's almost like weird like flashbacks or something that i'm having <laughs> well and we were talking about this while we were playing it but you also had an album called axiom so well i mean i feel like just just come out with it you you were obviously making a tribute to this game weren't you i wasn't i've never played axiom verge which may be surprising because i love metroid and are you close um, to playing it like or would you say you're on the verge of playing it or not i don't know if i'm on the verge i've definitely considered it uh uh, you know, I would like highly, Aiden, highly I, I don't have a lot of time to play games. Yeah, it's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely proven wrong on the no more vibey since aspect, but <laughs> yeah, this this is it, it sets the mood for the game very well, and I think that the rest of the soundtrack carries in that tradition as well. All right, so now we're gonna hopefully change things up. I actually went out of my way to not listen to this particular track. Now I'm very familiar with the Pokemon Black and White soundtrack, but I can't say I'm familiar with this. So I'm just expecting the same vibe. But uh, are we gonna get a change of pace here? 
I certainly think so. This track stands out from the rest of the soundtrack on that game very much mm. because of a few certain aspects. It has uh, an aspect of diegetic music where there are two non-playable characters in the town, a cumula town, mm -hmm. that you can speak to in the game. Right. And when you talk with them, they start playing on their piano and their drum set. And with that, they're their playing is incorporated into the the ambient music of the town and it That's adds great. a really cool element to it and that the so accumula town is one of my favorite tracks from that series i can't wait to check out accumula town from pokemon black and white composed by shota kakayama let's take a listen You guys are listening to Accumula Town from Pokemon Black and White, composed by Shota Kageyama. This is a delightful piece of music. Thanks for bringing this in. So, uh, so why do you why do you resonate with Accumula Town as a piece of music? There's something about the piano backing track that joins in, where where you'll have been in this town for a few minutes and you'll hear the tune, and it's a very just fun jaunty sound. But when it adds the piano, it just adds this level of happiness and, and just free-spiritedness that where you yes. hear the piano player just having a ton of fun playing that melody. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of like somebody dancing. Like the piano player is like dancing on top of this track. Mm -hmm. Oh, completely. Yeah, it's um, this uh, almost like polyphonic line. It's like the kind of thing that you hear in Dixieland where you have different yes. melodies happening simultaneously. This soloistic improvisation over the chord progression. There's elements of almost like a Latin jazz piano that um, I feel like have some influence here. And it makes sense because we know that um, a lot of video game composers and specifically in Nintendo's tradition of uh, game composition draw some influence from uh, Latin music and definitely jazz as we can tell in that really wonderful B section. Really fun stuff. All right, so you know what? I I'm not necessarily to say that I have a bone to pick, but I'm kind of curious. Other than that Link's Awakening track, this is a very modern playlist. Is there a reason why your playlist doesn't have much old school stuff in it? I can't think of anything personally because I am a hmm. very big fan of, of the, the older stuff, So especially chiptune things. I just think that I I'm trying to highlight some things that I don't know that would have been played otherwise, so ah, just hopping gotcha. into some other other things well thank you for doing that so this is almost an examination of uh what you think we wouldn't like <laughs> <laughs> there are a few cases of that but that's not what i'm going for <laughs> no i'm glad no I, we're kidding i'm glad that you went out of your way to try to pick tracks that we haven't yeah really i think played, that's because i think that makes it more interesting for also, everybody Also, i think with a lot of favorites with friends it tends to be this like chronological thing through history where it's like this is i listened to when i was a kid yeah this is you know and you kind of you kind of approach this more like a show and tell maybe in a way yeah i like yeah. that i respect it good on you that being said, get off the podcast. No, I'm just <laughs> okay, so I'm excited to play this. So we have played this track. Uh, I'm not sure you're aware. We played a different rendition of it. This mm -hmm. is Shadow World from Persona 4 The Golden. And I'm pretty sure we played like a dancier version of it. Because when I listen to this, um, it, I've heard this piece of music before. But I must be familiar with like a different arrangement of it. Yeah, this is an interesting piece because it was used in the second rendition of the game where it was released on the PlayStation Vita a few years after the, the original PlayStation 2 release. And th there it was featured as the opening song for the, the video that played before the game. And right. since then it's been remixed in a few different uh, games. Like yeah, I the, think it, it might have been Dancing All Night. Definitely. Persona, there were, yeah. There were at least two different remixes of it that were included in Dancing All Night. Sure. So I think we probably played one from that. So this is... Uh, like Aiden said, the opening to Persona 4 Golden. This is Shadow World, composed by Shoji Miguro. Let's take a listen. 
You guys are listening to Shadow World from Persona 4 Golden. This is composed by Shoji Meguro. This is so catchy. I remember this melody from when we played, I think, like more of like a dancier version of it. Oh, God, it's adorable. Truly unforgettable melody. Really fantastic. I love that harmonica in the beginning. It's so dirty and has this Americana sound. Just great. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your experience with this game. So... Persona 4 Golden is my favorite game of all time. It does just so many fantastic things with the characters that it has and the writing that it gives them and their interactions. And a lot of that is going through this game for several dozens of hours listening to the music. And some of the music is not exactly what I would call my favorite. It can be a little bit grating with some of the vocals, but it's something that I just grew to absolutely love. Maybe Mm -hmm. it was a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome, but... (laughs) I, I really, really adore that soundtrack. So you're kind of like the opposite of my girlfriend, where she'll only be interested in listening to something if it has vocals in it. Mm. Uh, but it's 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 nice to um, feature some stuff well, like I this on the podcast. I'm actually more opposite. I, yeah, you're I am kind of the opposite. polar opposite. I actually prefer music without vocals. And anytime yeah, you hate this, Carl. I'm listening, this is like grating <laughs> to you. No, no, no. Because the Beatles are my favorite band, so it's not that I don't like vocals. It's that you just like instrumental arrangements. If I of Beatles if I songs. had my druthers. I, I'm really getting into the groove on an instrumental soundtrack, and then when the vocals come in, I'm like, oh, stop, please stop, just let me get into the groove but without you. You're kind of an addict. <laughs> I appreciate the vocals when they're done well, particularly with examples like uh, like Nier in particular. Right. But this yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting case where I definitely adore this game, but there are some parts of it soundtrack that can be a little bit annoying. But I very, very much appreciate Shadow World as it was replacing the original opening from the PlayStation 2 version, mm. which I think was a little bit more downbeat and sullen sounding, which doesn't really fit the, the tone and feel right. of the game. You know, Carl, I, I really am interested to hear, uh, you, hearing what you say uh, about vocals, though I know something that a lot of people that listen to the podcast don't know is that you've written some really amazing songs uh, in your time, as particularly like when you were like songs. in college. Um, but right. yeah, I, I would love to hear more songs from you because hmm. I, I think you're a damn good songwriter. Well, thanks, man. I think part of that is again, if I had my druthers, I just gravitate towards instrumental music, but it's not to say that I don't like, I mean, I do think that vocal can have this potentially like powerful link right into your heart that maybe no other instrument can have and i'm definitely aware of that but for me it's it's rare when that happens it's rare when i hear a song where the vocal just cuts cuts to me you know on the inside but it's, it feels like that happens to me more often with instrumental music so yeah it's, it's interesting all right so the next game we're going to move to is one that I've never heard of. Tell us a little bit about what this game is. So this game is called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle, and it's a fighting game that's based off of the, the long-running manga series JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Now, the game is fine, and the music is fine, but... <laughs> Let's play it. Here yeah, we go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> All right. This is the game is fine. The music is fine. I love that. This is Who Will Judge, composed by Shikayo Fukuda.
You guys are listening to Who Will Judge? Well, I'll tell you who we will. This is pretty decent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure All-Star Battle, composed by Chikayo Fukuda. Yeah, I think you described it. It's it's very fine. Yeah, so this is the song that plays when you're selecting your characters in it. It's a fighting game. And I think what's interesting about it is that this, the series itself takes a lot of inspirations from Western culture, music in particular, and it takes just some of that and infuses it with the, the acoustic guitar right next to the electric guitar. Yeah, that's a cool sound. Yeah, it's, it's very driving because it's not something you're going to be staying at very long selecting your character. It wants you to get to the point and get moving with it. You know, this reminds me of so many moments in video games where they really kind of play up the contrast of something like that. Like having that distorted guitar with the acoustic guitar it's kind of weird and cheesy in a way that we probably wouldn't hear that in pop music or rock music, um, but we hear it in video games. And, you know, it's just another example of kind of maybe the quirkiness uh, that this genre allows. I think it's great. I think weird and che- weird and cheesy is the perfect way to describe the series. <laughs> awesome. Well, it fits the bill. Well, speaking of acoustic guitar, I think we're going to move on to maybe the only piece of music uh that has been played before on the podcast um exactly in this same form this is the last of us played multiple times i believe holy moly this is my second favorite game of all time i think mm-hmm. not enough has been said yet everything has been said about it there's it's, yeah uh, just I, a masterpiece exactly as what you guys have said before the the soundtrack to the last of us is sparse but brilliant It is incredibly tragic and powerful as well. Let's take a listen to the title theme. This is The Last of Us, composed by Gustavo Santolaya. You guys are listening to The Last of Us, the title theme to this phenomenal piece of art. It feels limiting to call it a video game because to me it's even more than that. It's just an experience. Um, I know that sounded really. Like, it's an ama- It sounds kind of corny, but it's just it's an incredible true. story. Um, it's one of the best. It's probably the best story ever told uh, in a game. It's the most cinematic, but you, comparing it to cinema feels unfair because. It really is like a true utilization of the medium. I think another thing to sum up why I think this game is great is there are elements of, I guess, like long-form RPG games as far as how close you get invested to these characters, but it's done in a way and in a genre that we don't really get. Like, we don't get this type of deep character interaction and, you know, kind of feelings of connection in these kind of action shooter games. So it, it's just crazy, yeah. Or action films, you know? that That's the other thing. There's types of interactions in this game that don't happen in movies or really even in books. Like, it explores uh, the types of relationships in certain moments that almost feel too real and too intimate and in some cases too mundane to be featured in like a conventional story. It brought up the way that video games can actually um, foster like a real attachment um, between a character. Cause like, I, th- I really think if they make a Last of Us movie, it's not gonna work because the character, 
like the characters are almost unlikable and some of their decisions you can't relate to yeah. but when you're experiencing it and you're doing it yourself you start to understand it at a different level Very yeah true. i think it's brilliant exactly. and not to not talk about the music the music is incredible <laughs> yeah i, I mean gustavo's score is perfect for as minimal as this score is it's so melodic and really identifiable i think yeah the game uses its mechanics in a way that's so unlike what you could do in a, in a medium like film such as just playing with your expectations of what will happen when i do this will will this character come over and use my hands to, to jump up to the next level or will that be something that doesn't happen just to break out of the convention and, and change what you're thinking here let's move on to Bayonetta 2 uh, you brought in a track from this game can you talk a little bit about your experiences with this game before we play this so with Bayonetta 2 the soundtrack is very very upbeat poppy and flashy and fun and that, that there's nothing else that in the game that can really just amp you up for for the very flashy experience that's going to happen on screen as well and it's very interesting to hear the use of vocals again which are very prevalent in this soundtrack which doesn't happen a whole lot in other types of action games Mm -hmm. let's take a listen to tomorrow is mine from bayonetta 2 composed by hiroshi yamaguchi here we go You guys are listening to Tomorrow Is Mine, another very catchy vocal piece of video game music from Bayonetta 2. This is composed by Hiroshi Yamaguchi. Tomorrow is mine indeed. Oh, I definitely feel like I want to go and do something tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the things that I felt about this piece is how you can just feel the singer smiling in this song. Yeah, you, you can, can tell that she's got such a wide grin on her face, just flowing in and out of all of the different verses, and it's... It's just energetic. And she's also got a lot of swagger. Her performance here, she's so confident. Mm-hmm. What I love about like Japanese pop music is there's a richness in harmony that we seem to have abandoned in like American pop music. Uh, yeah. There was an interesting uh, comment that Gordon Goodwin made uh, I loved after the that last Grammys Award, basically saying that like, pretty much every single song that was nominated and um every single song that was like nominated or won with the exception of like i think a song by bruno mars was completely diatonic um essentially like only made um without any chromaticism at all and well i think that's not necessarily the only negative or maybe that's not necessarily the bane of modern music um as gordon goodwin thinks i think that's a really interesting point about how much we've abandoned i think it's a really interesting contrast from where we've come in terms of popular music when you think of music of the 1930s and 40s with this rich chromatic jazz harmony um it's something that i would love to return to and yeah I, I know what you're saying well it's hard to, to, to not here. seem like hipsterish to say oh you know it used to be better but it does feel like in some ways with with our modern pop tradition today that we've kind of taken a step back as far as crafted melodies it seems like the melodies nowadays what's cool and what's good 
in what's hip is a lot of these one note repeated melodies with like one maybe two notes very very simple and although that can be cool uh, I, I definitely feel like I'm kind of yearning for, for more of this kind of lush expression. Well, it's definitely not lyrical. I think there's still really amazing music that's being written, but it's within these confines that um, I wouldn't necessarily right. choose. I agree with you that I definitely have more of a fondness for uh, an unapologetically earnest uh, romantic melody like yes. this and things that we used to get I think in American pop music that maybe now would be considered a little bit uh, cliche but things things go yeah. in circles and I think this richness of harmony and this kind of um, moving melodic line will come back again and it's just a matter of time. Well guys we're very excited to move on to this week's track of the week. <laughs> Now, this is a piece that I did hear. Um, Aiden sent us uh, the playlist, and oh my gosh, I was blown away by this. Uh, thanks so much for bringing this in, and I, I'm really excited for everyone to hear this. This is from the game The Swapper, and it was composed by Carlo Castellano. Can you talk a little bit about this game before we play this? So this is another game that takes some of the the heritage of Metroid, and it creates a sparse, abandoned uh, space station that your character is exploring. And it's a very desolate feeling place with very at, with a strong atmosphere that that builds up around it. And I have played this game. To... I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it definitely fulfilled a Metroid Prime urge. Mm-hmm. So, what track did you uh, choose for track of the week? So this is one called Recreation, and it's used in the recreation zone of the space station that they're on. Let's take a listen to this from the Swapper by Carlo Castellano. guys are listening to recreation from the swapper by carlo castellano oh my goodness i was floored by this this reminds me of joe hisayashi it's just so beautiful for the first thing is that it feels like it'd be at home in the zelda series some of those diminished chords well the first thing is that it feels like a classic uh you know japanese composition so that is kind of surprising but oh my goodness Uh, yeah this is an this is so gorgeous Yeah, yeah i love this hats off to you, man, I, I almost feel guilty that uh, we missed this one, that we haven't played it. Like, um, shame on us, especially me, because I played this game, and yeah. for me to not have done this, I'm I'm disappointed in myself. I think we need to say though, hats off to Carlo more than anyone. Jeez. Yeah, Carlo Castellano. It, it is just such a fantastic piece. It's very interesting because it stands out from the rest of the soundtrack, which is already very, very good. But this one just is heads above the rest with its use of live performance in there. And this is a fun fact. This is Carlo performing this. There's a video on YouTube you can watch him. This is him playing piano. He's a virtuosic piano player. This is amazing. Yeah, it's it's just so impressive. It's, it's a bit strange because in the game, it's not used in a very grand moment it's just used in one of the areas that you enter on the on the space station but really it it really really struck me compared to you know what that i must not have made it it to that point in the game because yeah damn this is great you know what that makes me realize is that i have a feeling he probably composed this before it was placed and then they placed it because that doesn't really make a lot of sense why this would be the most emotionally and beautiful track 
Um, so maybe it was placed later. It's hard. It's hard to know. The other thing, though, I like about it. Um, it it sounds like it's scoring um, something emotional rather than locational. And so much video mm -hmm. game music is always about like, oh, now we're in ice world, so it needs to sound icy. Right. And now we're in the desert, so it needs to sound like the desert. And I think one way that um, modern composers can try to make video games feel more like films, and this is something I would love to hear more of, is I think a lot of composers just say, oh, we need less music. It needs to be atmospheric. We need to have things zigzagging in and out, in and out. And so you never really get a clear melody. But I think another way of doing it is scoring the emotions of the characters rather than uh, the scenery. This is something that uh, mm -hmm. I've heard Austin Wintry talk about before, but he's also a big proponent of that idea of like seeking music in and out. But what I think is great about this is it's still location based in terms of its function, but it's not trying to score the atmosphere. It's scoring a more emotional thing. Well, yeah, I remember there was a conversation with Austin at the most recent MAGFest where he is very vehemently not a fan of scoring things locationally. Like, oh, this is an ice level. It should sound like this. He's interested in what's the emotion of this. Yeah, and I think that the, so the sound of it very much fits the emotions of the game. It, it deals with isolation a lot, and it, it was very pretty. It reminded me a lot of the downed frigate from Metroid Prime as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. Sure. And that's also solo piano too. So, all right, now we're going to move on to a soundtrack that both Will and myself are a big fan of. This is Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery by Jim Guthrie. What did you bring in for uh, your track submission today? So this is the track Lone Star from, from Sword and Sorcery. And I'll admit that I don't have much experience with this game. I've only played it for maybe 10 minutes or so, but I've been listening to the soundtrack for years now and I just really like it. It's super good. Let's take a listen to Lone Star. You guys are listening to Lone Star from Sword and Sorcery by Jim Guthrie, and this is actually my personal favorite track of the day. This would have been my track of the week. I think this melody is amazing. Well, I was just commenting that I think this sounds like it was written by Carl. Um, this has like some of the earmarks of like a melody written by you. First of all, really groovy and catchy, um, and it uh, uses this kind of um, it, it highlights the third scale degree of a five chord and minor, which is like the leading tone, right? In a way that I've kind of heard you do in uh, certain melodies before. Um, so I don't know. I want, I'm curious what some of you guys thought, but this sounds like a Carl track to me. But maybe it's just because I'm your brother. <laughs> See, I really, really like the funk of it, and the sound that of the song evolves throughout while reusing the same types of expressions and I, I really like how it is able to build on what it had before right. while keeping some of the same themes all right well we're gonna play i believe the last piece of licensed music of the day and i guess i'll allow it but if you did any more than this i would have to access <laughs> this is comes to us from metal gear solid 5 ground zero so that must have been is that like a side metal gear solid 5 entry they split the game up into two for strange marketing hmm. reasons and uh, yeah, it wasn't maybe the best choice, Weird. but it allowed them to, to start off the game with this use of the song Here's to You by Joan Baez in a very, very cool example mm. of diegetic music where it's played in game on a character's cassette tape. Right. And then as the as the opening of the game plays out, it follows and turns into being non-diegetic where the music is played 
not from a source in the game, but rather just as an accompanying piece. And it's right. So the full the full title of this song is "Here's to You, Nicola and Bart." And what a weird combination! I didn't quite <laughs> know this, but this is a collaboration between Ennio Morricone and John Bias. So he wrote the music and she wrote the lyrics. What a interesting uh, collaboration that he was. He is a melodic genius. Let's so take a listen to Here's to You, Nicola and Bart. guys are listening to here's to you nicola and bart this is sung by joan baez who composed the lyrics and ennio morricone uh composed the music and this was for a the film famous film composer. yeah it was it was uh, for a film that he was scoring so that kind of makes a little bit more sense might be a, a good opportunity to plug our sibling podcast underscore that i host with marty yes uh in last week's episode we actually featured a piece of music by ennio morricone from the good the bad and the ugly so nice. if you're a fan of morricone you should definitely check out underscore yeah aiden was saying that he's a huge Joan Baez fan and he has everything she's ever done. Is that right? No, I got to admit that I actually haven't really listened to anything else that she's done, but the Metal Gear Solid is one of my other favorite series of video games and I was very excited to see this use of a song in the the context of the game because they use hmm. it the the it's one of the character's favorite songs and it's right. used in a very emotionally impactful way throughout either the opening of the game but then later on in the context of some of the the information that you, you sure. learn about the characters and it's well what a good choice yeah Ugh, it's so it's, fitting it's one of my favorite uses of music in a diegetic sense in a game all right well now we're going to move on to a track from 3d dot game heroes uh can we have a little context a before we play this <laughs> see i think this is a game that really really wants to be a classic it's going for the the sound that was had in in early zelda games because the game itself tries to emulate a lot of the things done in the in games such as A Link to the Past or even Link's Awakening. Huh. But it's using sounds that are completely foreign to the area. Wow. Uh, this is the main theme from 3D.GameHeroes. You guys are listening to the main theme from 3D.GameHeroes, and this is composed by Shinji Hasso. Um, yeah, this is this is pretty cool. It's kind of... I don't know why, but for me, this kind of falls into the Uncanny Valley. I really don't know why, because it's like some of it is like those chip sounds, but those, those kind of sampled horns, I... 
I'm not the biggest fan of, but this is this is a, this is a cool track. Well, and even musically, it um, it almost starts to have its own independent identity. Uh, it, I mean, it feels very much like it's owing stuff to film music and John Williams. But the moment where it loses me a little bit is on that diminished run with the arpeggiation that falls in the same spot that it does in the Zelda theme and right. is kind of uh, voiced in a very similar way. And to me, that's such like a distinct moment to to that piece. But I hear what you're saying, that it is a direct um, tribute. And I think that's uh, super cool. I mean, any it's love a cool for track. Zelda is something that I love. Yeah, I should, I should check out the rest of it. The game itself has this strange identity where it's trying incredibly earnestly to be a Zelda game, but it's also self-aware that it can never fully live up to that. So it, it right. parodies itself while also just trying to reach for these heights that it, it it's aware that it won't fully be able to reach. I, I really like yeah, the absolutely. soundtrack, though, because it's got a ton of melodic material that is immensely catchy. Well, guys, we had such a wonderful time. We want to thank Aiden for coming on, and we want to thank Aiden for... Uh, thank you for your support throughout these years, uh, being such a good uh, friend of the podcast. This is our first episode featuring um, uh, one of our patrons that we actually have on the podcast. So one of our reward tiers we have is you can actually come on the podcast and share some of your favorite music with us. And so we're really excited to to have this as the first uh, one of those. How fitting uh, for Aiden, who actually has shown us some great music over the years. Yeah, we're so glad that you're the first uh, one to do this because we've kind of had this correspondence with you for a few years because it's always like, damn, who's this Aiden guy? He keeps like sending us really good music. <laughs> and I feel like uh, there have been a few people that, you know, ultimately we've met in person that uh, have just started off by suggesting killer tunes. One of them is Carlos. Hi, Carlos. Uh, we know you love it when we give you a shout out. You better come what on up, here Carlos? soon, man. Uh, get your playlist ready. No, but um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on, Aiden. This was a blast. Thank you guys so much for having me. I had a fantastic time here, and it's really been great hearing you guys over the years and, and being able to share music with you and hearing the whole podcast evolve. It's been such a fantastic experience, and I am always looking forward to the new episodes. You are too kind. Thank you so much. So we're going to play out your last track is Craid from Metroid Metal, uh, their album Various Suite. So this is going to be a fun way to play out. And thank you so much for joining us, guys. You can follow us on Twitter, subscribe to us on YouTube, like us on Facebook. Our website is supermarcadobros.com, which has every episode of our podcast as well as our original music. And thank you so much to people for leaving uh, nice iTunes reviews recently. We've got some some really nice ones, so you can feel free to do that as well. Uh, all right, guys. I think that's just about it. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out.